the Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. This morning, I'm going to continue in our series um, uh, uh, with uh, Chasing Love. It's this book that I had read. I read this book, and if you're interested, I want to encourage you to pick up this book. If you've got teens, if you've got tweens, if you are a young adult, if you are single, married, etc., etc., it's good for everybody. It's called Chasing Love, and it's sex, love, and relationships in a confused culture. And I just want to encourage you to read this. Here's what happened. I read this book and said, man, how do I get this information into my congregation? And realized, I don't want to teach this. I want you to pick it up on your own. And so what I did is I stole the title uh, and then created a whole series of teachings around this topic. And, uh, and so uh, I want to encourage you, the Bible has a lot to say about our relationships that is very contrary to the way the culture is trying to teach us and trying to lead us. Um, and so open up your Bibles this morning, come on with me, go, go over to the book of Galatians, if you will. I was uh, looking into the character of Barnabas. Anybody heard of Barnabas in the Bible? I was looking at the character of Barnabas in the Bible, and I discovered Barnabas was his nickname. Now don't shout it out. But if you know uh, what his real name was, I got a $5 gift card if you can tell me what Barnabas' real name was. Anybody, anybody tell me what Barnabas' real name was? Anybody? I know. I, I'm telling you. I'm reading. I'm like, wait, Barnabas isn't his name? I know. that. I, all right. So I'm saving these for second service. We'll see if they know it in second service. His name was Joseph. Joseph. Check it out. The Bible says that they nicknamed him Barnabas. Right? And I'd read that before, but I don't know that I ever picked up on the fact that that wasn't really his name. I'm like, I've always got, it was Barnabas and Paul, and they did these missionary journeys. Actually, Barnabas was a nickname like, hey, Slim, kind of a thing, right? And, and the reason that they called him Barnabas is it meant son of encouragement. So here's this guy who's hanging around with the apostles, and the apostles go, man, that guy's always so encouraging, isn't he? Yeah, hey, Barnabas. And that's what the name Barnabas means, son of encouragement. And so they nicknamed him that, and then it stuck. So, you know, again, I'm using that example. Hey, Slim, that tall guy, right? You would say you might call him that, and that name sticks. Well, that's what happened with Barnabas. Well, Barnabas, as I started digging into this guy, he's the one who took a chance. And he introduces Paul to the leaders in Jerusalem, Peter, John, James, these leaders after Jesus is gone. Uh, Paul, Paul is coming to Jesus. He's had this literally coming to Jesus moment, right? And then Barnabas says, man, you need to meet all the leaders of the church, this new thing, the followers of the way. You need to meet them. And, and everybody's afraid of Paul because he's been killing Christians for a long time, right? And so they go, oh, man, you need to meet these leaders. Well, Barnabas is the guy who introduces Paul to all of these leaders in Jerusalem. And then this encourager takes the role of what I would call like a, a spiritual sponsor when he insists on giving this guy John Mark. I don't know how many of you guys ever heard of him. John Mark was another guy that was on one of Paul's journeys who abandons Paul in the middle of the work. He's like, you know what? I'm done. I'm out. I'm out of here. And Paul's like, wait, you can't just leave me here alone. And so Paul cuts him off. Paul's like, done, I'm done with you, are dead to me now, right? And so Paul cuts off John Mark, and Barnabas goes, Paul, come on, 
take John Mark back. He goes, nope, I'm not going to work with him. And so Barnabas decides to work with John Mark, right? Well, in Acts chapter 11, verse 24, it says that Barnabas was a good man who was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And I read that and I thought, man, that's what got me going first. I was like, man, I want to be a Barnabas. A man, a man who is a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And I thought, I want to be Barnabas, right, immediately. And so I started digging into it, right? And then I found this very curious verse, this entry in Galatians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Look at this now. And Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. I'm like, wait, Barnabas, the the full of the Holy Spirit and faith guy? I was over here in the book of Acts. It was really good. And by the time I get to Galatians, I'm like, what happened to Barnabas? What would just happen here, right? In verse 14, catch this, Galatians chapter 2, it says he's no longer, listen to this, following the truth of the gospel. I'm like, wait, (laughs) What, what happened to Barnabas in Acts? The guy who was full of faith, the guy who was full of the Holy Spirit. What about that Barnabas? He was just this many pages away. And all of a sudden, I'm reading this guy has no faith? What happened to Barnabas? Well, a backstory is Peter was judging all kinds of people. You can get into the story in Galatians, but Paul essentially confronts Peter. He's going, hey, dude, man, you come in here and you, you eat with the, with, the, with the Gentiles sometimes, and then you don't eat with the Gentiles other times, and sometimes you're okay with the Jews, and sometimes you're not okay with Man, make up your mind, but in the midst of what you're doing, you're causing all these people, and again, it gets into circumcision and all this other stuff, and you say they have to follow the law and do all these things. Man, what are you doing? Bottom line is, it says Barnabas wasn't walking in faith anymore. He walked away from Jesus. And all of this has me realizing, and I'm going to pull it up here because this is where I, this is where, it, this is the kind of the struggle of this morning is that past experiences and usefulness is no guarantee of future obedience. Just because you got something going down in the past don't mean you're going to have it today. Just because, well, I was raised in the church Well, I went to Sunday school. Well, I've been on a missions trip. That don't mean nothing. And and again, this happening in Acts to Galatians, I go, what happened to Barnabas? I mean, again, they wrote about him. A man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And by Galatians, he's not walking with Jesus anymore. He's not walking according, the Bible says, to the truth. Christianity is a race that must be run and finished. It is a fight that must be fought and won. It is a faith that must be kept. That's what we're here for. Now, I've come to understand this very difficult truth. And this is what I want to deal with today, that not everyone who starts with us will finish beside us. You ever had that happen? I've been in the church my entire life. I've been in pastoral ministry 35 years. I've been full-time pastor, 35 years, and I cannot tell you how many people I have started with that I'm not finishing with. From, and again, I started as a children's pastor, and then as a youth pastor, and now as a senior pastor, I'm like, I've had a long time that I've been walking with people in the church, and I'm like, wow, I didn't imagine that that family would fall apart. Wow, I didn't think that, watch this, that Barnabas would make that decision. Wow. He was such a Barnabas. 
She was such an incredible Barnabas. What happened there? Now, they, she has nothing to do with the church, nothing to do with God. She, in fact, she says so herself. Yeah, I don't believe in God. What happened? It would be great if no one stopped, if no one moved on. It would be great if no one decided that they didn't believe in Jesus anymore. But there's going to be people who let us down and who walk away from the faith. But listen to me, that cannot stop us from trusting God. This relationship, me and God, is between me and God. It cannot be dependent on you. It cannot be dependent on my bride. I, I, I have to have this relationship with me. Today, I want to encourage us to stay the course with God friends. Not good friends, God friends. Make sure that we're hanging out with God friends because it's not going to be easy, but I will tell you this, it will be worth it. It will be worth it. Vigilance isn't optional. We've got to stay on guard. I hear Jesus speak to me often the same words that he spoke to his disciples in the garden the night that he was betrayed. He said, he, he said hey, you guys, Keep watch. Watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. And at one point he turns to me and goes, Satan, the devil, wants to sift you. I'm like, <laughs> like wait, what? And, and, and that hits me. I'm like, man, I, I know the devil's job. To see, he seeks to kill, steal, destroy. Man, that's his job description right there. Three words. Steal, kill, destroy. That is not somebody I want to play with. And Jesus says, that's what the devil wants to do with you. You need to pray that you don't fall into temptation, right? And while clearly, I want you to know, Barnabas' failure in Galatians 2 has nothing to do with, it's not sexual in nature, and that's kind of the context of this series. But the reason I bring it up is because it's a call to awareness. Past faithfulness does not indicate future faithfulness. That is a daily choice I'm going to make for me, and listen to me, you need to make for you. You can't make a faithful choice for someone else. That has to be your choice. My prayer is that today we'll intensify our vigilance to stay pure, to keep pure for the greatest work in the world. Today I want to outline what I'm going to call pitfalls to, for the necessary protection to avoid sexual sin. I think there are some things that lead into sexual sin and ways that we can be protected from sexual sin. I think, again, because our culture is asking, hey, chase after this. All you gotta do is turn on your TV. Oh No, you just pop on your computer, open up your phone. And the world is going, chase this, chase this, chase this, chase this. Cookies are being dropped in and watching what you watch. And, and then they're saying, but you also wanna watch this. I didn't ask for that. Yes, you did, because you're on your phone. Right? And so it's amazing stuff. Here's the first pitfall. If you're taking notes, I hope you are. I hope you have your app open today. Here's the first pitfall. Falling in love with the world. That's a problem for me. I, I'm like, I love the things of the world. I'm telling you what. It took me two days in Hawaii to say, I don't want to go home. <laughs> Come on. I'm just, I'm just laying it out there, right? I'm like, why would I go back to Santa Clarita, Canyon Tucky, right? I am not going home, right? I'm staying aloha now, right? I'm like, mahalo very much, see ya. You know why? Because it's easy to fall in love with the world. I'm out of my element. 
And it's easy to fall in love with the world. Paul, in fact, he writes about a disciple named Demas in 2 Timothy. He tells Timothy, he goes, man, Demas, listen to this, Demas deserted me because, listen to this, he loves the things of this life. You ever catch yourself? It's okay, you can be honest, though. You ever catch yourself falling in love with the things of this life? I do. I love, I say it all the time, I love my car. That's just a weird statement, isn't it? I love my house. All that stuff's just fading away. And Paul says, this guy Demas, man, he loves the things of the world. And what is it about the world that we're tempted to love? Think about it for a moment. The answer from Jesus is pretty clear. He says, we love acclaim, we love prestige, we love riches, we love pleasures. The list is very lengthy. The Bible gets into all the things that we fall in love with. In fact, Jesus said this. He goes, people, watch this, he says, people love being noticed in the marketplace. People love getting the best seats of honor at a banquet. See, we, we like being noticed. It's a self-importance. Notice me. Notice me, look at me. I know there's people here going, don't look at me, don't look at me. But the bottom line is we, we want to be known. There's something deep inside of all of us. But Jesus said that the message of the good news sometimes gets crowded out by the cares, listen to this, and the riches and pleasures of this life. And so we need to be careful that those seeds actually grow into maturity. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus said, man, these good seeds of the gospel. See, he takes these seeds and he goes, these are good seeds. And he throws them out. And sometimes those seeds fall on a hard path and the birds come and eat them. And sometimes those seeds fall among rocky soil where the, where the, shallow, the soil is so shallow, the roots go down and then there's nothing really for them to go into. Sometimes those seeds fall among weeds and they get choked out, the Bible says, by the cares of this world. And then sometimes, one out of four of those seeds falls on good soil. And my question for us today is, where's your heart soil? What kind of heart soil you got this morning for the word of God? Now listen, I'm not a good communicator, but this is perfect. This is truth. I'm doing my best with these words. English is still a third language for me, right? I'm still trying to figure out how to say things. But this kind of truth, this has to find good heart soil. Where's your heart soil this morning? Is it, is it ready to receive? Is your heart ready to be cultivated with some truth that wants to produce fruit in our lives? We've got to be careful when we experience success. And we all experience success to some degree or another. Your boss tells you you did a good job. Your spouse tells you you did a good job. Your kids tell you, whatever, right? We go, yeah, that's right, right, that's right. I did a good job, me, 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 me. See, that's, that's what I'm talking about. It focuses on me. But see, that's where we get into trouble. Because specifically when, when you experience success, maybe in the business world, you're exposed to the allure of prestige. That's right. I'll tell you what, you know what I love? I love applause. I love applause. And it doesn't have, doesn't have to be here. I just, I, I want my bride to go, good job, babe. You did a great job in the yard today. I'm like, yeah, applause, applause, applause. I, 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 I don't know about you. I, 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 like, I like it. No, no, no. I'll take it back. I love it. Oh, that shirt looks so good on you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tell me again. Tell me again. Oh, Pastor Marty, you did such a good job. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. See, I, I, I like that. I, I like people being positive to me. Don't, 
am I the only one in the room struggling with this one? Okay, just making sure. I'm mean, everybody's like, poor pastor. Here's what we need to remember if we're going to fight this battle with the world. We need to remember this. World love is deadly poison. You can fill that in. That's in your app. World love is deadly poison. We need to remember this. The more we love the world, the more in trouble we're going to be. Here's what 1 John 2 tells us. Don't love this world or the stuff that it offers you. Because when you love the world and you don't have the love of the Father in you, listen to this, the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. James 4.4, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? (gasps) Oh, Let me say it again, in case you didn't hear it. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Psalm 73 says, Who have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Man, we got to align to that thinking. Beloved, listen to me. Align to this thinking. Sin's fascinating enchantment. You ever have that happen? Sin just does one of these. Trust in me. Trust in me. And you're like, okay. And I am one stupid decision away from more stupid decisions. I don't know what happens. It just happens. Like, what, what was I thinking? I don't even know. That fascinating enchantment is broken when we experience the superior pleasure of being in the presence of God. Psalm 73 talks about it. I used to look at the world and go, wow. Or 37, Psalm 37 says, wow, look at the world. Look how awesome they are. Oh, man, I wish I had what they have. And then I went into the house of the Lord and I thought, man, those guys are toast. Psalm 37, you ought to read it. It gives great perspective on on what we need to be thinking in this life. Here's the second pitfall for you. A sense of immunity. This is a problem. This is one of the pitfalls for sexual immorality. A sense of immunity from accountability and authority. We think we're above and beyond it all. See, we like to seek prestige and power We gradually begin to secure our gains. This is what I got. This is what I have. This is mine. And we develop some sort of, I'll call it immunity from accountability. You ever meet someone that you just know is really slippery? You ever met that person? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You're like, wow. Like, am I really having a conversation with this person? Because everything I'm putting out there is kind of deflected. Like, they're, they're not, they're, they're, here's the way I describe it, is it seems like with these people, I'm always catching up, I'm never keeping up. I'm always, okay, and, and they just keep throwing what I call flack. Look at this over here. So you don't look at this. Those are slippery people. And those people often think they're immune, thinking that they're above the ordinary demands of maybe morality or even integrity. Here's how we protect ourselves. You can write this down. Submit to the counsel of biblically minded and spiritually wise advisors. We better surround ourselves with good, godly people. You don't have godly friends, and that's what I said. Not good friends, God friends. 
We've got to surround ourselves with those kinds of people. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22 says, Plans go wrong for lack of advice, and many advisors bring success. Who did you talk to about making that job change? Nobody. Okay. Who did you talk to about getting that new car and getting into that lease? Nobody. Okay. Who did you talk to about getting into that housing situation, that rent situation, that mortgage situation? Nobody. Okay. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 says, submit to one another, listen to this, out of reverence for Christ. Romans 13, 1 says, everybody's got to submit to the governing authorities. All authority comes from God. Those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. I'm above, I'm above the law. I don't have to do what the law says. Oh, we, have we watched that in this last year? I don't care what the law says about masks. I'm not wearing a mask. Can't make me wear a mask. Why do you think we're wearing masks in here? Because the law has asked us to do so, and the Bible clearly outlines our place. I don't know what to tell you. Beloved, no one is above correction. Everyone is accountable. We have all, at one point or another, we're going to give an account to God for our actions, our attitudes. He's going to go, hey, about that. I knew he was going to ask me about that. Here's the third pitfall, a disregard for biblical marriage. This is huge. It's a disregard for biblical marriage. See, God created marriage. That was God's idea. You ever seen like the phony stuff? You know, like they got these like Yves Saint Laurent purses and then the knockoff purse, the Rolex watch and the knockoff watch. A knockoff is always cheaper than the original. You know what I'm talking about, right? Right? Come on, we go, oh, you know what, this is cheaper, and, and it looks like that, so I'll just get this. How often do we regret those purchases, those alliances? We go, well, I, I want to get the original one, but this is, a, this is a cheaper brand of that. And it doesn't last like that does. And there's a reason, right? What's our saying? We say it. You get what you It's a problem, I know. But I can't tell you how many times I've gone, let's not do that. Let's just do the cheaper one. Sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it's just, they're getting you on name brands. Go to the mall. You can see it happen all over the place. They're just getting you on name brands. But sometimes you go, wow, that there really is something about, right? I, I tried one time, I tried buying a pair of Payless shoes. Oh, Lord Jesus. I'm telling you, I, th- I, thought, I thought for sure, you know, I'm not going to pay these $40 for Vans. for Vans. So I saw them at Payless. I was like, dang, look at that, $14.99. And then my back went out and my my arches fell. And I'm like, what? Oh, it was bad. We disregard biblical marriage because the culture has made up something about marriage. The culture has a fake marriage. They, They don't really know what marriage is. God created marriage to be a dramatic presentation of Christ's relationship to the church. Listen to this. How husbands relate to their wives is, and I'm going to focus on this word, is supposed to parallel how Jesus relates to the church. And how wives relate to their husbands is supposed to parallel how the church relates to Jesus. Why are are we missing this? The deepest biblical meaning of marriage has to do with how Jesus is portrayed to the world 
in the public drama of marriage. That's what the Bible says. When you look at marriage, you're seeing Jesus in the church. And the world wants us to chase love with them and disregard biblical marriage. Uh, It's just a paper. You know I love you. I'm committed to you. Why do we need to get married? You see the way the world chases things? And they say, yeah, just come on. You can watch that movie. You could do this. Mm, I don't think my marriage is supposed to do that, according to the Bible anyway. Here's the protection. You can write this one down. We've got to let our thoughts about marriage rise from the ordinary to the extraordinary by faith. We have to see our marriages, those of us who are married and those of us who want to be married and those of us who were married or want to be married again, we have to look at it and say, wait, transform my thinking. Change the way you think. And say, what, what is marriage according to God? What is marriage according to his word? We have to recover this wonder of truth. Marriage has to do with God, not two people trying to be fulfilled. Anybody who's married goes, uh-huh. <laughs> Ephesians 5.31 points out how the scriptures say, A man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. It's a great mystery, listen to this, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. See, that's where we get this from, this understanding. See, marriage is a mission of revelation to the world. When the world looks at marriage, they're supposed to go, so that's Jesus and the church. When I see a husband and a wife walking together, I I go, oh, that's Jesus and the church. I don't know how many of you remember Leland and Barbara Edwards, part of our congregation, well into their 90s. I used to love just sitting with them sometimes, walking with them. Into their 90s, two old people just holding hands. Tell me, tell me you don't go, aww. I want to be an old man holds my bride's hand. I, I want to see that. And listen, here's that. now I'm going to step off of this pulpit for a moment. I'm going to come over here. The Lord instructed me several years ago, maybe a decade ago. The Lord said, hey, listen. I want, you to, I want you to begin to talk to your wife as your bride. And he changed my vocabulary. He said, if you want to see her as your bride, you address her as your bride. And who, who doesn't know that the happiest day on, in any woman's life is the day she gets married, the day she walks down that aisle, the day she has the dress on, and everybody goes, you are stupendous. And she goes, oh. okay. Anyway, so, right, she looks so, she looks so amazing, right? And everybody goes, oh, you look amazing. You look wonderful. You're fantastic. You're so beautiful. That's that's the way I'm supposed to feel when I get around my Savior, when I get around my Jesus, when I get around my God, when I get into his presence, and he goes, oh, I love spending time with you. And so the Lord told me, hey, you want want her to understand how, how she's to be loved? I want you to remind her every day that she is a bride. She's not your wife. And so I I refer to my wife as my bride. Because that's what the Lord instructed me. And, And it's an important part just for me, for me personally. But what happens is we're looking around and everywhere that we see marriage today, it's hard. We just see this, what I'll call a desecration of marriage. Something that was holy and set apart and sanctified. And I go, that doesn't look holy. Oh, that looks, ugh. And it's portrayed for that in our culture. It's portrayed that way in our culture. Here's the fourth and final pitfall. 
Fourth and final one. Here's the big one. It's, it's probably the largest, longest feeling I've ever had, right? Compartmentalizing. How many syllables is that, right? Compartmentalizing our life. Here's what we do, and I put it up here, so I'm going to leave it up here because you're going. Some of you are like, I don't know how to spell that. That's a lot of letters, right? <laughs> Compartmentalizing our life. God will not allow us to compartmentalize our life, so that one area of our life or any part of our lives seem irrelevant. I want you to hear me, please. This is the number one stepstone toward sexual sin: the compartmentalizing of life. When we set things aside and say, well, the sin in this area doesn't affect or jeopardize my success in this area. That's called compartmentalizing. I can do this at work, I just don't do it on Sundays. I can do this with my buddies, I just can't do this with my family. And we compartmentalize our life. And I'm telling you right now, listen to me clearly, this is the number one stepstone towards sexual sin people compartmentalizing their lives. Here's the protection. We have to view absolutely everything as woven together by the value of glorifying God. That is our job. We are here on the planet to glorify God, period. It's what we're supposed to do. Now, I think I'm about to sound certifiably crazy, like that happens every week anyway but we need to learn how to drink pineapple juice to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 says, whether you eat or drink, listen to what he says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Colossians 3, 17 says, whatever you do, whatever you say, do it as a representative of Jesus, giving thanks to him through God the Father. Beloved, please hear me. One tiny area of our life not done for the glory of God is, listen to me, like a cancer cell that wants to take over. And all you gotta do is feed a little bit of sugar. Any area of our life that is not done to the glory of God is like a cancer cell that wants to take over. And anybody in this room, when you've heard the C word, whether that's a relative or yourself, you go, and you've heard the stories of how the cancer took over and the cancer spread and the cancer started here and moved into the bones or into the blood. I'm telling you what we don't do for the glory of God is like a cancer cell in our lives and it wants to take over and all we gotta do is feed a little bit here and there. And it's quiet. I've had friends. I got the call. Just got back from the doctor. I have stage four cancer. Wait, 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 wait. We didn't even go to one, two, and three. Yeah, it's been quietly growing for years. Nobody knew. Nobody saw. There were no symptoms. It's just there. They've given me three months to live. Whoa. Beloved, listen to me. When we don't do things for the glory of God, it's like a cancer cell that wants to take over in our lives. I want you to do whatever you say, whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, do it for the glory of God. We have to live our lives, including our sexual lives, for the glory of God. I want to pray for us this morning. 
Father, we are grateful we get to gather here in this place. I pray that good heart soil came in this morning. There was hearts tender and ready, cultivated and prepared to hear truth. And beyond my faulty communication, I pray that truth was heard this morning, that it found, these seeds found good soil, and that we would begin to change our lives and transform our lives by changing the way we think. But I'm asking, Father, would you restore your people? Restore biblical marriage. Don't let us think we're above correction. Father, these pitfalls are so easy to fall into. Keep us free. Keep us safe. Holy Spirit, attend to us. Teach us. Holy Spirit, teach us. Hey, 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 turn that off. Hey, 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 don't listen to that. Hey, that's not for you. That's, that's the old stuff. Man, that's not for you. That's like people who don't know God. People who don't know God do those kinds of things. You, that's not you. So I pray, Father, would you bring healing, restoration this morning in Jesus' name. Let it be so. Let it be done. Thank you.